What's up? It's Kaylee Cuoco. When it comes to travel, we all have a happy place. I just went to my happy place. I just went to Maui, and it was truly amazing. Priceline has always been about getting you to your happy place for a happy price with deals you really can't find anywhere else, like up to 60% off select hotels in Costa Rica or five-star hotels for two-star prices in Cabo. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey everyone, welcome to The Final Four is Not on the Schedule. I'm your host Eric, alongside with expert analyst Rod. Thanks for joining us on the best MSU basketball podcast featuring an in-depth recruiting, game matchup, and post-game analysis. We dive deep to give you the best tools to enjoy the Spartans and impress your friends and family. Hey everyone, it's Eric again, alongside Rod, and we're going to continue our March to the Big Ten predictions in the previews. Today is number 10, Penn State, and this is feels a little bit like the last recording where we were talking about Maryland. Uh, last season, Penn State was 14-17 and 17 overall. They were 7-13 in the Big Ten, 88th in Ken Palm, 131st on offense, 50th on defense, and struggled overall, similar to when we were talking about Maryland. Uh, didn't shoot very well. They were 196 in turnover percentage. Uh, which I think was even worse than Michigan State, so beat them on there. Uh, they were pretty good defensively, though, and I think that was in large part uh, John Harar, I think, was pretty solid inside. I think that gave, uh, he was, I thought, pretty good. Uh, there was a first-year coach, Micah Shrewsbury, took taking over uh, for Pat Chambers. And a team that I think everyone thought improved by the end of the season. They seemed to have an identity, kind of know who they were, but just not enough bodies and talent, I think, to really compete day in day out in the big 10. Yeah. I, I think if, if you're a Penn state fan, you should be very optimistic about the future of your program. Now I will admit that I thought the previous guy, Pat chambers was on the right path. Yeah, me too. And it just didn't happen. Um, and then obviously his tenure ended controversially um, with some questions around treatment of players. Uh, but um, I think Micah Shrewsbury had a great first year because he, he didn't have a lot. You know, he lost the entire starting backcourt from the year prior, which was pretty good, could have returned and opted not to. They all transferred out. So he lost a bunch of guys that way. He could have very easily. I mean, we were going into the season. It was kind of a toss up to me between Minnesota and Penn state, both of whom had new coaches who's in the worst situation. You know, the fact that this guy, we talk about the job Ben Johnson did, and it was very good, but yeah. you could make an argument. that Micah Shrewsbury was maybe even better. He got seven wins in the league <laughs> out of this team. And, and most importantly, He's a Big Ten guy who knows how to what it takes to win in this conference, and he right away started establishing those program staples that I spend so much time talking about. In his case, to take a program that had not been very good defensively for a long time, and they were 50th last year, that is encouraging. Without a real shot-blocking presence, so they didn't have much rim protection, 
They just bodied you up inside the arc and made life tough to get a good shot. And if you can do that, you can be competitive in the Big Ten. Uh, you know, his background, he was an assistant for a long time with Brad Stevens at both Butler and in the NBA with the Celtics. He also did, if I recall correctly, I think he did two different stints with Purdue. Um, definitely one. So he's been in the Big Ten, um, been in the Midwest. He understands the region. He understands what it takes to compete in this league, that you probably need to bring some physicality to what you do. You'd better defend. Uh, some of the other things, he doesn't yet have enough talent, but I think that may change. You know, just like we were talking about the last episode with Kevin Willard, what kind of recruiting job does he do? And the early indications are very positive. Well, they're really positive for Micah Shrewsbury, who's a year further down the line than Willard because he started last season. But it, you can make an argument that some of the best recruiting ever done by anybody at Penn State has already been done by Micah Shrewsbury, which is remarkable to say, but there's <laughs> actually a legitimate argument for that. And so if, if you can impose these program staples and then upgrade your talent quickly, boy, you can, you can have, you'd be cooking with gas and that may be where Penn state is in the near term. I think they're still probably a little short of talent as we'll go through, but um, exciting times to be a Nittany Lion basketball fan. And boy, we haven't said that very often in the last 30 years. Yeah, both of them will be excited. You know, right, that's um, about that's about right. <laughs> I used to always have this running joke that I would refer to um, the fourteen people who cared about Michigan basketball, and it was a little bit of an exaggeration, not much, but a little bit of an exaggeration. Until John Beeline finally started to win a little bit, and then everybody pretended that they understood basketball. Um, at Penn State, it's closer to the literal truth. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's always easier cheering for a team that's successful, right? I mean, that's there's no yeah. question about it. And to get excited about them, it's hard to be excited about a team that's you know terrible. And I, you know, it. it I was thinking about this with the, our discussion with Kevin Willard last show, because he's you know, coming into his first year, and Shrewsbury going into his second year. I feel like these play these coaches in programs have to within the first four to five years really show signs that they're they've got momentum. You know, they got a tailwind because if you don't. You had to play Pat Chambers, where he just kind of just drift along, and you know, not to say that he did anything particularly wrong, but he just was never able to get the right recruit or the have the right results in the court, and just didn't make any progress. Here's the thing with Pat Chambers: he got a much longer leash than anybody would have gotten in, say, the upper half of the Big Ten. Sure, like anybody, anybody in a job from here on out that we're going to talk about, there's no way, even in Iowa. Um that you would get the kind of leash that Pat Chambers got, but, and I'm not making excuses for his losing his job, you know, all of that. But the reality is Penn state was going to be a tournament team in 2020. They had done enough. They were going to make the tournament. And that was kind of the culmination. He had Lamar Stevens and Mike Watkins on that team who had been part of that first really, really good recruiting class he had. So I think he did actually get the right guys. It's just fate intervened. He doesn't get that tournament bid. 
And then over the off season, he has, you know, the allegations of player mistreatment and he, and he, and because he hadn't done anything, he hadn't won. It's, it's very easy to make that decision to say, well, this is not worth the headache. He's got to go, yeah. you know? So, but I, I, I do agree with your general point though, that you have to show positive momentum pretty early. It doesn't mean in a job like this that, oh, it's like I mentioned last episode with, with Kevin Willard. If he doesn't have Maryland at least pushing for a tournament bid by his second year, he's going to have some unhappy people. That's how it is. It's not quite that way at Penn State, but you'd better show something. Right. Yeah, you can't be spinning your wheels for five or six years. I mean, no. if, if, if Pat Chambers is still coach... I, I think he did show something last year, his first year. He needs to maintain that momentum, but I think he did. I mean, for that team to win seven games in the league was remarkable to me. Oh, I totally agree with Shrewsbury. I'm just saying with Pat Chambers, he was, you know, you imagine if he had another five years, I don't know that you would have expected Penn State basketball to be in that significantly different place than they were before he came in. Probably, probably not. I think you're, you're probably right about that is that we would have been talking about um, a a firing probably some point in the relatively near term. Yeah. Yeah. His dismissal very much seems like I see this all the time in, you know, industry where if you're not really performing a ton or bring a lot of value to your company or business, it doesn't take much for someone to say, okay, this is the one instant. Now this is for sort of our excuse, our reason for letting you go to get someone Absolutely. Who, at worst is the same, right? But now it doesn't mind is a headache, right? That's sort of, there's uh, that, there's that aspect of it. And then there's the, the, the other angle, which is if there's some other thing that's happening, have you done enough positively to make the people in positions of authority say this guy's worth fighting to keep? Yeah. Right. Fighting for to keep. And he, in his case, he hadn't done it, you know? So it's an easy decision at that point. Right. And I think at Penn state, they've had some difficulty with coaches in their past, maybe in the football program. And so they probably didn't want another, you know, (laughs) black guy. Right. I mean, that's, that is fair to suggest that at a place that's had that kind of controversy, there's probably less appetite for that. And, and also add in to an additional factor that a place where let's just be honest, basketball does not matter. So this, this was always the story at Michigan, um, that the powers that be just wanted the basketball program to not be embarrassing that they're really, and, and this was the excuse that was used for years when, you know, Chrysler was a, a dungeon and they didn't have practice facilities and they weren't. I mean, I remember there was a story. It's apocryphal. I don't know if it's true or not, but let's say it is that Tommy Amaker had to bring his own VCR into the basketball offices to watch tapes of games. (laughs) You know, that that's where Michigan was. And so the line was always, look, what they, what they care about, the people that actually matter, meaning donors, what have you, um, is that the basketball program, doesn't embarrass the school. That's why they were so, uh, they reacted the way they did to, you know, the, the fab five and fab five, two, and all the Ed Martin stuff, all of that, because that was seen to be embarrassing to the program. Like, well, look, we really just care about football. 
So guys, you go do your thing. It's great if you win, but we're not really going to fund it. That's changed there. Obviously there's that, you know, their basketball program actually gets funding now, but I think Penn state, it's a, a very similar dynamic with far less reason to question it. You know, you got a football program that's done a lot historically, and then you got basketball. It's never done anything really. I mean, a few NCAA tournament appearances. I think they've had one or two sweet 16 runs and that's it. Yeah. I mean, Joe Crispin, I think it's the last time they really had right. a good, good team on the court. Uh, so let's talk about the players who departed the last year's team. John Harar, uh, who's a guy I think everyone really liked. Uh, it, they didn't like playing, but I think you you, you like the guy because the guy just gave 110% every game. I mean, there's yeah. he was always look, you know, looked like he'd been working hard. He averaged 10.6 points a game and 10.3 rebounds a game on a guy who's, I wouldn't say super athletic, but just really solid and, and fundamentally and defensively and offensively. Knew who he was. Absolutely knew who he was, and that was one of his shining attributes. And it's an underrated, a highly underrated trait in a basketball player, know what your capabilities are and aren't and play to them. And John Harrar, you did not see John Harrar jacking up threes. You didn't see him <laughs> right. trying to face people up and take them off the dribble. He knew exactly what he was probably a little better athlete than he got credit for being because, you know, he was actually a football recruit, I believe is a tight end. Um, and if I remember correctly, and this is going back and I didn't consult my notes to confirm this, I think at one point he actually was committed maybe to West point to play tight end, I think. And then Penn state convinced him to play basketball, but he was a, he was a football recruit. And, and so probably a little better athletically than he might've looked, but man, was he strong and he developed a decent offensive game, you know, early in his career, I kind of had him pegged. I'm pretty sure I referred to him as a try hard guy, which is kind of a semi pejorative. It should never be a pejorative to say, well, somebody works hard. But what I usually mean by that is this is a guy who gets out there and has a motor and throws his body around, but he really doesn't do much in terms of production. John Harar made himself into a player over the last two years of his career in particular. And, you know, anytime a guy in the big 10, especially in a big 10 that was loaded with quality big men, the way it was last season, and you average a double, double, you're pretty good. So yeah. big loss, big, big loss, figuratively and literally. I feel like Thomas Kithier, although not the same size and, you know, build as him, Sort of was a kind of the similar player, knew who he was, was able to, was always in the right place and just was smart enough about the game to maximize sort of who he was. Yeah, no, absolutely. He did it in a very different kind of role. Harar, obviously, much more productive player, but you're right. This is the argument that I always used to have with people when Kithier was at MSU who didn't understand why he was playing. Well, the reason he's playing is he does what he's coached to do, and he doesn't try to do things outside of that. And if other guys at that time, maybe somebody like Marcus Bainham, who had more raw potential, certainly, but didn't do things that he was supposed to do or did things he wasn't supposed to do. <laughs> um, and, and that, especially in a coaching staff that is going to hold players accountable, that stuff matters. And Harar is a great example of a guy who just went out and played exactly the way he should have played to maximize his potential. So next we'll talk about Sam Sessoms, a six foot combo guard averaging 11.6 points per game on 45, 42, 78 shooting second, the team insists he was very good. 
and he decided to head to Baltimore to go to Coppin State uh, for next year. So he transferred down. I don't understand it. I really don't. And and I did some research. I did some looking into it. It doesn't seem that anybody at Penn State understood it either. Now, as we'll get into, they they reacted pretty well, but that uh, you know that's a loss. Now, I think they they probably replaced him decently, but this is a guy who was very productive and pretty efficient yeah. for them. Not really a point guard, but was okay on the ball, you know, could help out there, but a very efficient scorer and kind of an instant offense sort of guy. They'll, you know, had a good season. I don't know what the story is there. I, I know that at uh, Coppin, he's playing for um, Juan Dixon, the former Maryland guard. So I don't know if it's, there's a personal relationship there. I'm not aware of or something to that effect, but on the surface, it appears really weird. You just don't see that. Not with a guy who produced at the Big Ten level. You would see it for a guy who wasn't playing, looking right. to get minutes somewhere, but not this. It's weird. He was very good in the Big Ten tournament. I was That was one of the few games I sat down and got to actually, because the first day you go, you can it's open seating, and so we could sit right by the court and watch him play. He was very good in that game. and um, He was a good player for a couple uh, of years yeah, running. Really. He was absolutely, effective. Yeah. So next we'll talk about Greg Lee. Uh, he was six foot nine, pretty effective, but often injured. He averaged 6.1 points a game and five and a half rebounds a game in just 16 games played with 10 starts. You know, as funny as it is to say, if Greg Lee had been able to stay healthy, Penn state might've even been better than they were. Cause he was really good. It surprised me how effective he was. He transferred there from Western Michigan where he was kind of pedestrian. You know, he was okay. Uh, but he, when he played, he really got things done. And, and Penn State needed help inside around Harar, a very small team. And Lee gave them that size. He wasn't a bruiser, but he was still able to play big and be effective. And it's a shame that he was hurt so much because, again, if he had been healthy, who knows? Penn State might have been able to win another game or two in the league and actually, you know, maybe even threaten going 500. Sure. I mean, there's, yeah, the difference in the league to winning two or three more games is not that not much sometimes, right? Yeah, Not much. And if you're talking about missing a guy who was filling a very important role that you really didn't have another answer for size, you know, in a league filled with size, that hurt. That definitely hurt them. Well, next we talk about Jaheim Cornwall, a six foot transfer. He played in 25 games, started eight of those, averaging 2.4 points a game in about 16 minutes a game, and didn't really, really ever get on track for the season. Yeah, I did shoot well, uh, played more early, started to see his role shrink later as some other guys emerged. Um, you know, he was kind of a placeholder anyway, kind of a, a grad transfer, a one-year guy, so not not hard to replace. Next is Jelani White, a 6'8 transfer from Youngstown State. He played in 28 games, averaging only 2.8 points a game, 2.5 rebounds a game, and 10.5 minutes. Yeah, again, you know, you bring a guy in, you hope, doesn't really work out, move on to the next one. Not that difficult to replace what he gave them. Right. And finally, uh, as a departing player, Giovanni Scott, a 6'8 post player, transfer from Juco. Uh, just never quite got things going. He averaged 1.4 points a game, 1.6 rebounds a game, and only six minutes a game, and a smattering of appearances, only 11. 
Yeah, and and it turned out that he was actually um, not invited back due to assault charges over the summer. Uh, I'm not sure if the actual assault happened before that, but it was disclosed over the summer. Uh, so he is gone, consequently. So let's look at the returning players for Penn State. Uh, first is Seth Lundy, a 6'6", 220-pound senior, four-man. He was second on the team in scoring at 11.9 points a game with 4.9 rebounds a game, shooting 40, 35, and 87. And was a little streaky, but a really solid player, I thought. Yeah, he has his moments where you think, boy, this guy could really be something as an offensive threat. And then he'll go into a funk, he'll kind of disappear. But the numbers are solid. You know, he he did step into, um, you know, I thought as of a couple of years ago, I thought, well, this is the guy who's going to be uh, their next Lamar Stevens. And offensively, in some ways, he's actually better than Lamar Stevens was because he's a better shooter. People remember Lamar Stevens is a really effective player for Penn State, but boy, he struggled with his jumper. Lundy's actually a capable shooter, and on the right night, better than that. Um, Where I'd like to see Lundy be better is as a rebounder. I think he's got a little more to give than they've gotten from him. Um, But, you know, in in total, he's one of their most important guys, and he's a tough cover at the four because he truly is a stretch player. You have to respect him on the arc. Next is Jalen Pickett, six, four senior uh, was a transfer from Siena last season and uh, averaged 13.3 points a game on 42, 32 and 75 shooting a good pick and roll player. He had 135 assists to just 55 turnovers. Yeah. I, I, this was one I wasn't certain about. He had been, I believe he was his conference player of the year at Siena as a sophomore. And then, although his production remained decent, all his efficiency numbers declined as a junior. And I had read and heard that there were some questions about where his head was at. Like he had, if I remember correctly, he had declared for the NBA draft and gone into the portal. He came out of the draft, went into the portal. It was a question of where he was going to end up. Michigan was recruiting him for a while. Um, he ended up at Penn State, and there was some thought, well, where's this guy's head at? Is it on the NBA, and is he going to be focused enough to play the right way? Because it was not a question of his talent. I thought, you know, despite the three-point shooting number not being great, I thought other than that, I thought he was really good. You know, he gave them a guy you could put on the ball, and who would do the job. I mean, he was knocking on the door of a three to one assist to turnover ratio. That's great. I mean, it was better than two, clearly better than two to one. Um, that's really good for a, a guy who was kind of ball dominant. They put pick and roll a lot to put up those kind of numbers. He was an effective score. He's got some size for the position and yet he's good enough athletically to hang in there as a point guard. Just, I like him a lot. And if he can even just go up a tick, with the jumper, he'll be that much better still. So it's really important. I mean, we talk, we've been talking about this a lot in these previews that when you have quality guard play, that's usually a pretty good reason to go with a team over another team that might have similar overall talent, but maybe has more questions at guard. If you want to know why I've got Penn state ahead of Maryland, Pickett's a good place to start. Because I know what he's going to do in the Big Ten, or at least I think I know. 
And a player I really liked a lot, Miles Dredd, 6'5", senior wing. He averaged 6.2 points a game on 41-41-67 shooting. Uh, he would have games where he was really pretty pretty good. And other games, I think he got injured partway through, or he he, yeah. seem, he seemed to have some struggle a little bit, but then get on the court or at least playing as many minutes as but I, I think the bottom line with him last year and really maybe the last couple of years is that he just doesn't take enough shots. I mean, he's a plus 40% guy, right? You got to put up more shots and that's what Penn state. They really need that from him this year. You know, with Sesum's gone, um, there's a point production that they've got to replace and it's not all on dread. But boy, they would. I think Shrewsbury would breathe easier if he had a senior guard, maybe taking three or four more shots a night. And finally, uh, Dalian Johnson, six-three junior guard, he ended up in the starting lineup fourteen times last season, playing almost fifteen minutes a game, and scored three point seven points a game on thirty-five, thirty-seven, and eighty-eight shooting. Started playing a lot more as they got into Big Ten play, and Penn State as a team got better. His shooting numbers are good. Not huge volume, but they're solid. But he's a good defensive player, and he just seemed to seemed to play the way Shrewsbury wanted. And that's a you can't overestimate that the importance of that. So he's a guy who is in ascendancy, or maybe a guy like Cornwall we talked about a few minutes ago wasn't doing those things as well, and so he saw his role decline, he saw it shrink. So I, I would expect Johnson's going to be in the mix to start again. Because he he did a pretty nice job with it, and you can just see from those those returning players, really solid the guard play, right? I mean, there's there's no question they've got they've got some people who could score who are handle the ball well, and can be trouble. Right, three returning guards, and then um, and then Lundy as a four man, all of whom you would probably feel comfortable starting if you're Shrewsbury. I'm not saying they all will, but you you would these are all guys who have done some good things in the Big Ten, right? And and certainly if you've been listening to the last previous episodes, I mean, the, there's a stark difference between this Penn State where they've got returning than the other teams where they've just got, yep. you know, all sort of question marks transfers pretty much or you know, it's it's in. the look it's the difference between Penn State and Maryland in my mind. Yeah, is Penn State it's but Maryland has brought in a couple of transfers where yeah they might be good. But you don't know. Penn State, we have more proven performance from their guys. That counts. And then we'll look at the newcomers to the team. Uh, Andrew Funk is a 6'5 transfer guard from Bucknell. Uh, he averaged 17.6 points a game last season on 43, 36, and 76 shooting, also averaging 3.6 rebounds a game, and a uh, assist to turnover ratio of 1.8. Oh, I'm sorry. It's a three assists per, to, to 1.8 turnovers. Right. Game. A, a good player, um, a guard with some size, some ability to help out on the ball and also play off the ball. He shot decently and has shot well in his career. And I think importantly, we talked about this um, with one of the guys that Maryland added, and it's going to be the case with a couple of these guys that Penn State brought in as well. This is a guy who played a lot of winning basketball at Bucknell. So he knows how to win, and he was a leader at Bucknell. So you can't underestimate those those qualities. Now, is he going to produce as much as he did at Bucknell? Probably not, but 
he can be an important part of that rotation. And I think he will push for a starting role. And if he's not starting, he'll play a lot off the bench. Uh, next is Cameron Winter, a 6'2 point guard transfer from Drexel. Uh, expecting him to play quite a bit as well. He averaged 15.8 points a game on 43, 28, and 86 shooting. Uh, and actually shot better uh, from three as a junior on 42% uh, yeah. on similar volume. So just didn't shoot well last game, game or last season, excuse me. He averaged uh, 4.6 assists per game to 2.4 turnovers. Yeah, and this is a guy who's been multiple times was an all-CAA pick, first team. I think he was first team guy twice. Um, I believe he was his conference freshman of the year before that. So um, a very decorated player at that level has experience again, playing on the ball can also help off the ball. He's going to play as well. So I think for, for Shrewsbury, it creates an interesting dynamic. I thought Pickett was really good on the ball last year, but do you think that maybe you can unlock even more from him if you move him off the ball more and just ask him to focus more on scoring. I don't know. I, I frankly, I look at his assist to turnover numbers and I say, boy, I'd be hesitant to put it primarily in anybody else's hands. But, you know, we, we talk a lot and in a Michigan state context, we've been talking a lot about this move to playing multiple guys with true playmaking skills at the same time. And I think if you look at what Penn state's doing, yeah, they have Pickett, but now you've added two guys in Funk and Winter who have that ability demonstrated as well. Granted, it's at lower levels. We do have to see how it translates. But at least in terms of what their careers to date have told us, it should be possible for Shrewsbury to play multiple guys simultaneously who can go make a play for somebody. And that is just that is the way the game is evolving. So, you know... I, I like it. I, I think it makes sense. It tells me that Micah Shrewsbury is a guy who is thinking about the game in modern terms and is trying to go get guys that can help him bring that to the table, you know? And you have to expect that his recruiting, you know, he's got plenty of places to get people uh, over the Philadelphia area, right? He's competing against Villanova and Drexel, and, but in Temple, but he's, even at Penn State, you've got to be able to draw some decent talent. Well, and that's, you know, that's an interesting dynamic. And we'll, we'll talk about that as we, as we move through the rest of these newcomers. It's always an issue, certainly since they joined the Big Ten at Penn State. How do they recruit? Because initially, you know, they had a guy, um, Bruce Parkhill, who sort of, but was more East coast oriented, I think. And then Jerry Dunn replaced him and Jerry Dunn. And then Ed DeChellis, the two guys who followed Park Hill were both guys that they weren't exclusively Midwest, but they brought a little more big Ten, you know, traditional big 10 region emphasis to their recruiting. And, and I think there's a couple of reasons why that becomes a question for anybody taking this job. One is Philadelphia, yes, it produces great talent, but again, very competitive. Villanova, and at different points in time, a place like Temple, even St. Joe's, can compete for guys. And then that's not even that's not even factoring in um, what out of out of region schools, North Carolina, 
Duke, you know, these other schools have always been able to go into Philly. Philly's a lot like Chicago in that way in that, you know, it's, it's kind of an open town. And so Penn state, you have, if you're a coach there, you have to say, well, I can't necessarily count on Philadelphia. Should I turn more to the Midwest to get guys? Because outside of Philadelphia, the state of Pennsylvania, you know, Western Pennsylvania, especially it's football country. It's never been, you know, like Pittsburgh has never been great as a basketball talent producing city. It, it doesn't punch up to its weight class and neither does the rest of the region. So Pennsylvania outside of Philadelphia is not going to be great for you. Pat Chambers came in, had been an assistant at Villanova, was a Philly guy through and through. He reoriented his recruiting to be Philadelphia-centric, and to be fair to him, he got his share of guys. He really did. But it didn't I, – I don't think you can look at it and say, well, clearly that's been demonstrated as the way to go. Um, Shrewsbury is another guy with a Midwest background, and it'll be interesting to see how it evolves. I think in the early stages, we've seen a little bit of both. He's done some Pennsylvania recruiting. He's gone into the Midwest. It'll be interesting to see if he continues to strike that balance or he tends to tilt one way or the other. But I think that's to be determined. Penn State was in on the Booker recruitment, right? I think they're one of the sort of the perceived finalists for Booker. Yes, they were because they were because they were really early on him. Yeah. But again, makes sense. Indiana kid, Micah Shrewsbury, Indiana guy, coached at Butler, (laughs) coached at Purdue. So you know, and we're going to, as we talk, we're going to see Indiana, I, I think is going to be a place where Penn state looks to get some things done. Well, next for newcomers, will Michael Hen, he's a six, eight, 225 pound transfer from Denver. He averaged 8.8 points a game on and 4.6 rebounds a game on 47, 38 and 74 shooting. And he's played everywhere. <laughs> yeah. He's, this is his fifth school. I think it's his fourth or fifth school at the collegiate level. Um, you know, the numbers are fine. He did it at Denver. I have no idea what that's going to mean, but I don't think they're looking. I, look, they brought in a couple of big guys as freshmen. That they're very excited about, but they're freshmen. They've got a gaping hole at the five that Harar left, and they really don't have anything behind Lundy at the four either. So they need bodies. And that's what this move was. This move was, let's get somebody who's actually played D1 basketball and has some size and has demonstrated he could shoot a little bit and maybe we can get a quality 10 or 12 minutes a night out of him. I think that's what this is. This reminds me a lot of when we were talking earlier about the recruitment of Booker, that Michigan State is going to look for someone to push him, someone with experience at the four spots. Possibly, yes. You know, right? I mean, that you kind of the the same thing when you have someone there who can – can be the it could be the guy you bring in and say okay you messed up sit on the bench for a few minutes kind of figure out what you did wrong and then you can go back in except the difference is that you know when a Michigan State does that it's it's a guy like Ben Carter who despite the the right. slagging that he gets from Michigan State fans over the Syracuse game which is ridiculous on so many levels I can't even begin to waste the time to go through it um, the fact of the matter is Ben Carter was a really good player. He'd started out at Oregon, had been productive at UNLV, you know, Mount West, not a bad league, kind of a mid-major plus. When a Penn State does it, it's a guy who played at Denver. Not <laughs> yeah, Colorado, right. Denver. 
So yeah. there's the difference. But the theory is similar. You're right. Uh, next would be Kemba Injay. He's a 6'10", 235-pound freshman who played La Lumiere, top 100 recruit, and uh, probably one of the best recruits for quite a while now. Uh, in the rankings era, the so let's say the last 20 years or so since Rivals and what is now 24-7 used to be Scout, since the emergence of those systems, he is the second highest rated recruit Penn State's ever landed. Only Tony Carr, who people may remember, was a really good point guard for a few years ago. Um, part of that Lamar Stevens, Mike Watkins class. Um, he's the only one who's ranked higher. So that says something. This kid, and again, was playing in Indiana at a prep school. Micah Shrewsbury, Indiana guy. He knows people at La Lu. Um, that's an indication to me the Midwest is going to matter in his recruiting strategy to some degree. But this is a big get. You know, physically, this is it's a positive in that you don't look at him and say, well, this guy needs a year to get acclimated strength-wise. You know, he's what, 6'10", 250? He's ready to go. yeah. Okay. He's probably ready to go right now. You know, I'm not saying it's going to be easy. He'll still end up getting pushed around. But um, at least he's got a chance to hang in there. They really like his potential defensively as a rim protector, something they did not have last year. Um, they think that offensively he can be good in the paint right now, has the potential to maybe expand out from there over time, but very encouraging. And for the kid, you couldn't ask for a greater opportunity because the five is wide open. I think he'll probably be the starter. How effective he'll be as a freshman remains to be seen, but the opportunity is going to be there. And I think he's got the tools that, you know, there's a chance he could be productive. Next would be Jamil Brown, his six, four wing. Uh, he's the sixth highest recruit in modern Penn state history. Uh, so other, another nice recruit for Shrewsbury and Mr. Basketball runner up for Pennsylvania, right? Yeah. So again, there's a Pennsylvania kid. That's good. Again, one of the most highly rated guys that um, they brought in, in the modern era. It's a good sign. If you're a Penn state fan, you've got to love this because this guy, you know, made chicken salad out of chicken blank. And I'm only saying <laughs> blank because I don't want to get, um, get our podcast labeled. Um, <laughs> but uh, he did that in his first year and, and, and established the way he wants his teams to play with toughness, physicality, good defense, and now he's immediately, and this is something that even somebody like Steve Peichel was not able to do this quickly. Steve Peichel just now has gotten to the point that he's able to compete occasionally for the best kids out of New Jersey and, and maybe land one or two of them. Shrewsbury's doing it immediately. And again, he's like, let's not get it you know, to ridiculous levels. He's not going out landing McDonald's All-Americans yet, but he is upgrading the talent level from what we normally see at Penn State right away. If you're a fan of this program, that is a great sign because it's giving you the best possible chance uh, to, to get better. I mean, you look at the numbers last year, 50th rated defense, and their offense was what, 130-something, 150-something? Yeah, 131. 131. That's normal for a program that's going about it. It's what happened to Rutgers. Offense tends to come. You, you can't you can't effort and toughness your way 
to offensive production typically. Defense, yeah, you get some guys who are physically up to it. You know, they're good enough athletically, they're strong enough, and they have the right mentality and they grasp your defensive concepts. You can do that even without a great talent level. But offense, your talent level has to be higher. And so that's why it should be encouraging because that's usually the hard part in a build like this. But he's getting guys who, at least in theory, are ranked in the spots that you would expect, oh, that's a guy who maybe not even as a freshman, but soon should be able to make plays offensively that other guys we've had here are just incapable of making. And that's how you get better. Right. And I think we mentioned a couple of shows where you were talking about how really you want for a fan base, you want to have some hope. You understand that this year is not going to be great. I mean, as Lions fans, we know how this is, right? You yes. want to have some hope for the future, right? right? That you've got something to look forward to that, yeah, this may not be the year, but we're building towards something. And if you're not, you know, you don't want to be a fan of just spinning your wheels and just kind of being the same, same old, same old. Right. And, and man, Micah Shrewsbury is giving them everything on all ends. Like, well, we're more competitive than we thought we'd be right away. We got a chance to be, you know, competitive again this year, I think. And the future looks brighter. That's you're hitting, you're checking every box. Yeah. He might actually fill up the Bryce Jordan catacomb. Uh, next <laughs> we'll is see. Demetrius, <laughs> Demetrius Lilly. He's a big 6'10", 260-pound five-man from Lower Marion High School. And, uh, I mean, another good recruit. Suburban Philly. People may, be from, may think, well, where have I heard that name, Lower Marion? Well, it's Kobe Bryant's high school. And this kid is the first player since Kobe Bryant at that high school to average a double-double three years running. So that's, I'm sure, quite a – he's probably proud of that. Um not as advanced as NJ, not rated quite as highly, but again, physically ready to go immediately. And again, in position where right away as a freshman, he probably is going to earn some kind of role. And so they're excited about him too. They think he should be able to rebound and defend right now. And we'll see when offense comes. But there have been a lot of years, including last year, where Penn State didn't have even two guys on the roster that looked the part of legitimate Big Ten five men that they could roll out on the floor. So from that perspective, they're already a little ahead of where they've often been. Uh, next is Evan Mahaffey. He's a 6'6", 3'4". Uh, he was a Cincinnati High School Defensive Player of the Year as a senior. And so it kind of fits into sort of the, you know, what the Shrewsbury's building, right? Defense, Midwest... Yeah, I, I think that fits. I would I've not seen him play. I would expect he's probably pretty tough. There's a a type of player that I think Shrewsbury wants on his roster and just the profile of a kid like Mahaffey seems to fit it. We'll see if he's capable of playing a lot right away. But from that perspective, I, I totally got why Penn State went after him. And finally for it. Uh, addition is Kanye Cleary or Clary six foot point guard out of Virginia. And uh, I suppose he'll, you know, obviously he's not going to be expecting to play a lot of minutes his first year. Yeah. Because of those two grad transfers they brought in. I think that the odds that Clary plays right away are slim, but the thing that they like about him is, uh, and again, he's a kid from Virginia. So a little different recruiting territory for Penn state, but um, 
he's a kid that has demonstrated some real offensive skill. Like he can go get a bucket. He can also orchestrate an offense, but he was a scorer in high school. So, you know, over time, again, if you want to be really good, um, you better think about getting, uh, getting some guys that can help you score. That is the difference between maybe being able to fight your way into a sixth place finish and get a tournament bid and Hey, we're a top 10 team that is competing for a big 10 title and a top two or three seed in the tournament on and on. That is the difference. If you're going to be the latter, you got to have guys that have offensive ability. And you could see that's what Shrewsbury is trying to find. I'll make an observation, which is probably fairly obvious. And I guess you wouldn't, something you'd expect. But it seems like when you look at the transfers for these teams we've been talking about, at least half of them has come from very close in the region. Like you're not, you're not getting transfers from a long ways away. I mean, I say that there's someone here from Denver, but you're getting people from Maryland, uh, Pennsylvania or Philadelphia. I mean, it seems like most of the transfers are close by. And I know you made the point earlier about there are people you've maybe recruited before. Obviously, Shrewsbury wasn't recruiting people before, but that you're somewhat familiar with these players, most of the transfers, and certainly the ones who seem to stick around. Yes. And I think that's, and I think that uh, can be part of the equation, you know, for sure, that guys are looking for a better platform to play on, prove themselves against better competition, be seen by more people, all of that. But they also want to be comfortable. And so if you're staying in the same general neck of the woods that you were in previously or that you grew up in, you can understand what the appeal would be. So I think it makes sense. Yeah. Well, then I guess you would look at the outlook for the team. Uh, you project them as number 10 ahead of Maryland, which you because you think of their guard plays significantly better than Maryland's. Uh, and as we've mentioned many times before, the difference between even probably six and 11 may not be that dramatic in this big town might be a difference of two wins. It could be. Well, I, I think, and I think honestly, at least in terms of projecting these teams out, this is kind of my demarcation point. After this, we're going to be talking about teams that I think can at least believe with some rationality that they can compete for a tournament bid. They might not all get there, but anybody in the top nine, I think, can think that way. I don't know that I believe Penn State could justify that. Penn State could finish lower than this, and it wouldn't be a total shocker. I do put them in the same group with everybody we've talked about to date. So 14 through 10, these five teams are are all kind of in the same category to me, but I do think there are things you look at to distinguish one from another and guard play is definitely part of it with Penn state. And I think the fact that they had some real success, you know, I like Minnesota, but the fact is Penn state won three more games last year than Minnesota did in the league. So there's that much more confidence that should come from that. And I also think that Penn state probably has a better group of newcomers than some of these other teams do. So, you know, I, I, and returned more key guys than some of these other teams. So that's what gives them the edge. It's not that, oh, they're so heads and shoulders above a Minnesota or Northwestern. But I think if you have to distinguish between them and, and use that to hedge your bets as to who's going to be better than another team, that's what I lean toward. And that's why 
I, I've got Penn State where I do. I don't know that I believe that their ceiling is much higher than this because I don't think they're a tournament team. And really, if you get up to eighth and above, you're probably at least on one side or other of the bubble. You know, you're right there. So I, I don't know that I could see them finishing much higher than this, but I like them for where I've got them. Well, and certainly in general, you, it sounds like you really are in favor of their trajectory. Like you see, yeah. you see a, like that this is a team that's moving. That's going to be a real pest in the years to come. Look, sometimes, sometimes with teams, you know, we said this about Nebraska, right? I, I understand they want to play fast and I guess they've done that, but short of other than that, what is it that Nebraska is about? You know, um, Northwestern to some degree, even, even after all this time, are they really, have they proven year in year out that they're about something? I don't know that they have. I thought they were on their way to doing that, but they've, they've lost their way in recent years. Um, this program I felt for year one, very clearly defined what they want to be about. So that already puts them ahead of some of these other programs. And so now it's just a matter of continuing to keep that in place and build upon it as you improve your talent level. And I think overall on paper, this might be a slightly better team than last year. It's hard to really what's going to determine the ceiling of this team. I think is how well those young big men play because they got a lot out of John Harar. And if you if they if those guys aren't up to it, then Penn State's got a problem at the five. But I think they'll probably be up to it to some degree. Um, you know, but otherwise, I really I really do. I, I like them. And so if you say, well, the talent level is on par with last year, maybe a touch better, and you keep all those other things in place, you know, these program staples and you're also bringing in better talent for the future. That's going to be around for a while. You know, that's what you want as a fan of a program. And I think Shrewsbury thus far has not really missed a step because he realistically, he was not going to come in and say, well, we're landing McDonald's all Americans now. That's just, that's never going to happen. You know, he wasn't even in a position where, you know, when Tom Izzo took the Michigan state job, Tom Izzo was in a position that he could go get a top 10, top 15 recruiting class right away, his first class, because he's in Michigan. He's in a program that, although it wasn't at the level it's at now, was established, was a serious, legitimate, heavy, you know, near heavyweight program. And so he was in a position to go out and get guys, even if they weren't, well, he got a McDonald's All-American his second year, Mateen Cleaves. That's not Micah Shrewsbury's reality. He's got to build a little differently, but I think relative to what's realistic, he's checking every box. So now it just remains to be seen. Can it elevate, you know, as he gets better talent, do those guys buy into the things he needs them to buy into, but bring their skill sets to help improve those areas that can't be made better by effort and toughness and heart. Want to be a good offensive team? At some point, you got to have guys that can make shots and create plays. That comes down to skill. That comes down to talent. And that's the second part of the equation. But I, I like his odds of achieving it because, boy, he's 
He's doing the right things. His recruiting for 23 is on pace. He just got a another top 100 kid uh, by the name of Booth, whose father way back in the Stone Age in the 90s played for Penn State and actually played in the NBA, was a really good player. Uh, you may remember Calvin Booth. He was extreme. I mean, oh, yeah. really read thin. But our shot blocker developed into a pretty good offensive player, really was kind of a came-out-of-nowhere guy and became really good. His son is a top 75-ish recruit in the 23 class. They just got a commitment from him. So maybe that shouldn't be a surprise. But, you know, if Pat Chambers was there and was playing out the string, maybe they don't get him, legacy and all. You know, that happens. Right. So that's a win for Shrewsbury. Um, you know, you put – and Booth is 6'9", but more of a four-man. So you put him together with the two five kids they've got in this year's freshman class. That's a nice start for an inside combination. You know, you've got some potential. Yeah, certainly if you can keep the guard play up where it's been, right? Good things ahead for Penn State, in my opinion. But I think this year you're still kind of in the outside looking in in terms of tournament contention, but with reason to hope that it's not going to be too much longer. All right, well, I guess we'll – and there with the summation of Penn State. Uh, our next episode will be number nine as we move up to Rutgers. I'd like to remind you that if you've not yet had the opportunity, please visit our website at tffinots.com. There you can join the Spartan community for free and our bulletin board, message board. Uh, you can also find all the episodes we've done and encourage you to also join the contest for the Big Ten rankings to see if you can beat Rod. I will actually be adding my own prediction at the end of the season, at the end of the series here so I can get all the previews before I have to make my picks. But uh, I don't know that I'll do any better than Rod, probably worse. Uh, pick your 1 through 14 as a seating by the Big Ten standings. You can the tiebreaker. Make sure you put down uh, how many points Michigan State will score against Michigan this season. Uh, and then also, obviously, continue to share the show with your friends and subscribe if you have not already. And until next time, the final four is on the schedule. Go Green. <laughs>